Father, we do thank you for the children and those who are back there leading our, the teaching of these children, not only with this group, but with tots. And we pray, Father, that they do learn that Jesus is special and that they continue to learn about your love for them. And as we open up your word this morning, Father, I pray that we would better understand as we go into the Christmas season what the people back 2,000 plus years ago felt as they went into those 400 years of silence before Jesus was born. Open our eyes and open our hearts and help us, Father, to walk out of here different than when we came in. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want you to open up your Bibles to Malachi. We're going to look at the last few verses in the book of Malachi. It, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Um, two weeks ago, we finished the, uh, our series on Nehemiah, and we were able to uh, kind of see the journey of Nehemiah as he came and helped rebuild the wall and try to help restore the people and the frustrations that that came with and, and all of those things. And Micah, um, or Malachi here, is a prophet that was in that same time period, and he writes this to those people. As a matter of fact, in the first three chapters of Malachi, and we're not going to be looking at these, but in the first three chapters, he addresses the similar things that Nehemiah addressed when he came back and kind of said, you know, you guys have messed up. You've walked away from the oath that you said in chapter 10 that they signed an oath saying they're going to submit to God's word. They're going to uh, separate from God's enemies and they're going to support God's work. And in and and, and a short period of time, they had just walked away from that. And so in Malachi, you see him saying to the priest that you're starting to sacrifice these, un, these blemished animals, these, these lesser sacrifices. We, they started treating the temple in an unholy way. They, their, their, their positions were more like a job than a ministry, and, they, and he just really gets onto them about that. And then he talks to them about how they started marrying, the, uh, marrying off their daughters to the, God's enemies again. They started marrying them off to them, and he re rebukes them for that. And then they rebukes them in chapter 3 about how they withheld their tithe that they said they were going to give to support the work of God and all that. And what we're going to do is look at what he says now. He's, there's, there's, it's a huge shift, a, kind of a transition, because now he's going to be starting to talk to those who fear God. And I want you to look in chapter 3, verse 16. We're going to begin here this morning. And then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And the book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and who esteemed his name. So he begins, he goes from all of this rebuke that he does in the first kind of two and a half chapters there. He goes from that to this. He says, now for those of you who fear God and those who did fear God, they started talking about themselves and God heard them. And we don't know exactly what it means when he says began to speak to one another. Some folks have interpreted that as meaning they began having fellowship with each other. Uh, not just gatherings or anything like that, but genuine, authentic, Christian uh, godly fellowship with each other, that they were 
sharing concerns with each other, even praying with each other to God. And it says here, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him. This book of remembrance more than likely is not too far, too much different than what the Persians did. They used to write a book of remembrance of not just not people, what, you know, when they caught them doing something wrong, but actually when they caught them doing something right. They would write it down in a book and how they rewarded them. And it is something that we see actually in the book of Esther. I'm going to just turn over there and read it to you. In chapter 6 of Esther, it says that during the night, the king could not sleep, so he gave an order to bring the book of records, the chronicles, that they be read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had reported concerning Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who were doorkeepers, that they had sought to lay hands on the king. And the king said, What honor or dignity was, has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. And so we see an example here where the Persians, they kept this book of records and Mordecai there, he did something good. If you, if you remember the story, he overheard these two guys talking about how they're going to kill the king and he went and reported it. They investigated and found out these two guys were actually going to do it and they did something about it. But here, nothing was done. Nothing was rewarded to Mordecai. And I find it interesting. It's, it's almost like a parenting thing. You remember how... Uh, I remember we were starting having kids. I was saying, don't just look for your kids when they're doing bad things. Look for them when they're doing good things and, and, and affirm that kind of thing. That's what this book of remembrance was. It was, it was a way to get people to be, to, to be recognized by the good things they were doing on behalf of the kingdom. And here in Malachi, he writes that for those of the who feared God and for those who were speaking to one another, God heard that. And he started writing these things down in a book of remembrance for those who feared the Lord and who esteemed his name. And look at what it says in verse 17. They will be mine. They will be mine. He goes on and even says further, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own possession, they will be mine, my own possession. I will spare them as the man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. He begins talking, he, he is affirming those who fear God, who's going to be remembered for what they do. And he says, they are my possession. They are mine. Think about this, as, as Malachi is writing all of this stuff and he's rebuking, he is coming down hard on the priest, on the people for what they were doing. He is, really the first two and a half chapters, he is, it's heavy stuff. And here he's saying, now for those of you who have been faithful, for those of you who continue to fear God, for those of you who have esteemed his name, they will be mine. And God, and, 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 and God says he possesses them. They're his own. And, 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 and I just remembered that there, there's a video that I've, I've seen several videos along this line when it comes to especially foster care or adoption, things like that, when, when the video is showing and the little kid is getting a gift from the parents or the foster parents and they open up the 
they open up the package and there's a note in there and the note says something or there's a, 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 a phone in there with a message on it or something and, and typically it'll say something like this, we just want to, you know, we love you and, and all this kind of stuff and that if you would like, we would like to call you our own. We would like to take you not just in our home, not just in our hearts, but make it official and call you ours. And you see joy and tears and excitement and celebration and all sorts of stuff. And that's kind of the sense I get here is when he says you or they will be mine. I will possess them. There is a sense of joy and celebration and excitement in this passage after they've just gone through. Malachi has come down on them hard and heavy for two and a half chapters. And he says, you'll be able to distinguish the righteous and the wicked by those who serve God and those who don't serve God. Are they serving their own purposes? You remember when we talked about how there was uh, Eliashib, the priest, and had Tobiah staying in there, the enemy of God staying in the temple, when Nehemiah in chapter 13, when he shows up and finds an enemy staying in the temple where the things that are supposed to be for God were in there, and they were taken out and given to Tobiah. That is a man serving himself, not serving God. You see Sanballat and others, when they are concerned about this wall being built and all that kind of stuff, the enemies of God are out there not serving God, but they're serving themselves. And even those who were inside, you see nobles who were writing letters back and forth during this time period. Nobles who are writing letters to the enemy saying, this is what's going on inside these walls. This is what Nehemiah is doing. This is what Nehemiah is saying. Those are people serving themselves, not serving God. And here he's just saying, you'll be able to tell. You'll be able to tell the blessed, those who are wicked and those who are righteous are the ones who the wicked do not serve him, but the righteous do. And then chapter 4, verse 1, he says, For behold, the day is coming. Burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every uh, and, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about. Like the calves from the stall, you will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Again, there's these two pictures about the righteous and the wicked, that the wicked, those who are serving themselves, those who are not serving God, they are going to experience destruction, judgment. That's what they're going to be experiencing. But he says, but for those who fear me, those who fear the Lord, those who fear my name. Look at what it says. The son of righteousness will rise. There will be healing in his wings. And you will go forth and skip about like calves in a stall. And he talks about how you will walk along with them below, the, the enemies that are destroyed below your feet on the day which I am preparing. There's a... There is a worship song that's come out in the past several months, and it's, I've been listening to it a lot lately. And it actually, this verse, sometime this week, when I, as I was listening to the radio, in, uh, the, uh, radio in my office and preparing this message, and I was looking at this verse, this song came on, and it was amazing how it lined right up with 
verses two and three here. It's the song you, you probably, you may know it, the way, uh, the way uh, what is it called? Way, uh, Waymaker? I don't know what it is, it's called the Waymaker, and it says that you are the Waymaker, the miracle worker, what does it say, the, um, the, light in our, the light in our darkness, the promise keeper, Look at, the, look at this passage here. It's, it's talking about the way makers in verse 3, which uh, uh, on, the, on the day which I am preparing, um, the, the, the promise keeper, uh, he's ta- uh, the, the, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, the light in the darkness, it says here in verse 2, the sun of righteousness will rise and healing in his wings. The, there is healing, there is promise keeping, there is light in the darkness. There's all of these things that he is telling those people who have just heard, for those who don't fear me, for those who are against me, they're going to be burned like chaff and you're going to be walking across them. But for you, for you, there's going to be healing. The promises that we've had in the past, the covenants that have been given are going to be kept. You are going to rise above it. You're going to be, you're going to lord over it. You are going to not suffer So for one, he says that they are going to experience destruction or they are going to experience judgment. But for those who fear God, they are going to be delivered. And then we looked at this verse four two weeks ago when we were wrapping up Nehemiah. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in, the, him in Horeb, for all Israel. He's just saying, remember this. Remember the law of Moses. Remember the statutes, the ordinances. Remember all of these things that I said. This is for you. This is for your benefit, for your betterment. This is not just something I'm doing, just happenstance. This is not just a personal preference just to see how it works out. This is for your good. Remember these things. And so here he's talking about remember these things. And in verse 5, behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come or I will not come and smite the land. In verse 5, he says, I'm going to send you Elijah. And I can imagine immediately people started thinking, well, we, we need to be keeping our eyes out for Elijah. And we know that they did. Over the history, we know that they were looking for Elijah. We know that when John the Baptist was preaching in the wilderness, what'd they do? Are you Elijah? Even when Jesus was walking around with the disciples, who do the people say that I am? And they were saying, well, some call you Elijah. And so people were constantly looking for Elijah to come because they knew here in Malachi, he was telling them, he was telling them, I'm going to send you Elijah, he's going to come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Elijah is going to come. And then here, these are the last words that we hear from the Lord through his angels or through his prophets for the next 400 plus years. And so what do you think? Just let's try to put ourselves in the place of the people here, in the place of the Israelites, in the, pla- in the place of the people that were living in Jerusalem and heard these words from Malachi. 
And the words that are passed down from generation to generation to generation over these next 400 years, what are we looking for? We're looking for Elijah. What else are we doing? Over 400 years, what is going on? Well, we, we know historically there were people who just began to wander away from God's laws. They began to wander away from what God wanted them to do. They just decided, you know what? It's been long enough. I don't believe it's ever going to happen. For 400 years, they were kept in silence, and they didn't know what to expect except they were looking for Elijah to come. But there was some who kept pointing back into history, whether it was Isaiah who was talking about the Messiah coming, or other prophets who were speaking forward saying this is going to come. And in particular, Daniel. If you remember in Daniel chapter 2, the king there has a vision the vision is of a statue that's made of four layers of this material, and he talks about how these materials are, 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 are basically are going to be kingdoms that are coming. And the first one was Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian captivity, and the others were going to didn't identify them, but it gave the impression that it was going to be empires that were going to come. So four empires. In chapter 7, it talked about four beasts in another vision, about four beasts that were going to come depicting meaning of four different empires that were going to come. In chapter 7, it specifically talks about a vision where there's a ram and a goat, and he identifies one as the Medo-Persians and one as the Greeks. And so it starts identifying, not just saying there's going to be empires coming, but specifically saying, right now you're among the, the Persians, the Greeks are going to be coming. And all of this, all of this, in chapter 7, when, he, when, he, when he's... When, when he's uh, talking about the four beasts, he says this. And I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man, was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the people's nations, men of every language, might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom no one will not be destroyed people are looking for a a someone to come and to conquer these empires knowing that there's going to be four empires coming and when that fourth one comes, there's going to be someone who's going to come along and conquer them and wipe them out and the people are going to be bound down before them and we're going to have peace and we're going to be able to take care of ourselves they begin looking for that and as the years went on as these 400 years of silence just went on they also remembered in Daniel chapter 11, he says, Forces from him will arise and desecrate the sanctuary fortress and do away with the regular sacrifice, and they will set up the abomination of desolation. Basically, without getting in too much detail here, is something bad's going to happen. It talks about worship's going to stop, temple's going to be destroyed, there's going to be some kind of bad thing happen. Well, about the time when the Greek Empire came in and took over, and then Alexander the Great died, and the kingdoms were divided up, there was a Seleucid dynasty that oversaw Jerusalem in that area. And there was this one character, after several decades, there was this one character, Antiochus Epiphanes, who came along and decided he was going to basically desecrate the temple. He went in there and he slaughtered a pig on the altar. He scattered his entrails and blood all over the place. He took out all the valuable stuff for himself. He tried to destroy all the scrolls. 
He put in idols in there to be worshipped. He stopped worship of, of, of Yahweh altogether. No burning of incense. No sacrificing to Yahweh. And everybody thought, aha, Daniel 11 is coming to life. He, this guy is the abomination of desecration. This guy is the one who's coming along and doing this. Now we can start looking for the one who's going to come in and take over and wipe them out and destroy them and get rid of them all. And they thought it happened three years later when the Maccabees were revolting in guerrilla warfare against this empire, this dynasty. They were revolting and eventually they beat them. They defeated them. And they drove them out of Jerusalem. And there was this one fellow, Judah Maccabees, he actually rode into Jerusalem on a horse, a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And they thought, aha, this is it. This is the one who's coming. This is the one who's going to free us. This is the one who's going to provide everything that the scriptures in the past have told us. They're going to, this is the one that's going to do it. And before a hundred years were up, the Romans came in and conquered them. Now, can you imagine what it was like for them, what it would have been like for us as we're looking back at prophecy, as we're seeing history play out right in front of us, as we see these things happening, and then we go, what? What is going on? Can you imagine the despair of the people? Can you imagine hopelessness? of the people, what they were looking for. And, and can you imagine how it might have been that, yes, they were not ready for someone like Jesus to come along and do it the way Jesus did it? Can we imagine how they might have felt, how they might have thought, how they might have experienced this whole time frame from, from the, not just this 400 years of silence, but as Jesus is born and all the things that are played? Can, can we imagine what it was like for them? to be in a place. And what happened was as they were looking back at Malachi, can you imagine over the years they kept looking back to Malachi wondering, did we miss something? And they would stop at verse 5. They'd go to verse 5 and 6 and they said, wait a minute, Elijah hasn't come yet. We need to be looking for Elijah. But what they missed out on was the previous verse, verse 4, when it says, remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb of all Israel. Remember the statutes, remember the ordinances, remember the law of Moses. For us, it would be remember God's word. Remember what you've been taught. When, when you feel like that God is not there, when you feel like that God has not showed up in, in the midst of your problems or in the midst of some issue that you're in the middle of, just imagine he is there. He has not forsaken us. He has not left us. He has not abandoned us. But in Galatians 4, 4, it says that in God's perfect timing, His timing, not ours, not Jerusalem's, not anybody else's, in His perfect timing, these things happened. It's not according to what we want or what we need or anything like that. It's God's plan, and God's plan is not necessary. need our permission or our instruction or anything like that. But as we are here, not only where we are in this days, but looking forward to the second coming of Jesus, how excited are we about that? How assured are we about that? How determined are we about 
living out the statutes and ordinances and obeying what God has commanded us as we look in that direction. It's easy for us to look back and go, man, those people just didn't see it. I mean, this guy was walking on water. This guy was feeding 5,000. They didn't see it. What about us as we are looking forward to his second coming? Are we excited? Are we anticipating? Let's not just look back and think less of them. In the darkness, when whatever that darkness might be, he is there. In the silence, whatever that silence might be, he is there. As a matter of fact, that song that I mentioned earlier actually has some lines where it says, you are here moving in our midst. You are here moving in this place. You are here touching every heart. You are here, here healing the hearts. You are here turning lives around. It just goes on and on and on. When people do not actually see God's hand at work, he is here. And he is to be worshipped. Not asked for things. I mean, we're about, we're about to have the Lord's Supper here. And there's something interesting I, I, I remembered from years past as I preached a sermon on Thanksgiving. And, 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 and what I really want us to try to do right now is, is before we start getting too caught up into the Christmas season and all that, let's don't let Thanksgiving go so fast. I'm not saying... I'm not saying Let's go and make another turkey. You know, I've had about enough of that. Let's don't say stuffing and all that kind of, you know, I love that stuff, but man, I, you know, once a year is fine with me. Let's don't talk, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this sense of thanksgiving, of giving thanks. There is a word in the New Testament for giving thanks. If you look in 1 Thessalonians where it says give thanks in everything, the word there, giving thanks, is eucharisteo. And the root word that is Eucharist. Think about that. The Eucharist. Now, we don't get caught up in the Catholic baggage of what all this stuff, you know, turns to or anything like that. We don't go there. But when we come forward and take the Lord's Supper, how do we do that in a sense of, well, we got to, you know, we do this once a month. Let's dip this. Let's go back there. Let's hear Caleb say a few words. Let's eat it and let's move on. That word, eucharisteo, is the same for the word in Thanksgiving in the Old Testament where there are two things going on here. One is praise, praising God for what he did. But one is also confession. Yes, confession of, and, and we're asked to do that if we read 1 Corinthians 11 rightly. It, it says that not approach it in, in a negative sense, not approach the Lord's table when you've got some stuff you need to work out, when you've got some stuff you need to do, don't, don't do it. Yes, that way, but also confession as in proclaiming. By doing this, you are proclaiming who he is. And so let's don't leave Thanksgiving just yet and go full bore towards Christmas without bringing Thanksgiving along as we celebrate Christmas we, we, with the sense of biblical Thanksgiving where we are proclaiming and we are praising who he is because that's where I believe in those 400 years of silence where they didn't feel like God was there and God was listening I can imagine like I said the examples of one right after the other it just feels like they said what's the purpose what's the use why 
do this? Well, partly because in Malachi chapter 4, verse 4, it says, remember the law of Moses. Remember the statutes. Remember the ordinances. Remember the things that are good for you. Remember these things are best for you. It's not just so that you can have a good, happy life. It's so you can have a better, joyful life. But to be thankful, even if we feel like we're not, God is not in something, in the middle of something, he is here. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we consider this message, and Lord, I pray that in whatever way I might have fumbled the ball, that you will communicate in our mind and in our hearts what it is you want us to take out of here. Your great love towards us. Your plan, how perfect it is for us. How even in situations we might seem, see as hopeless, difficult, that you are there in the midst of. That even through those 400 years, even if they didn't hear from you, your plan was laid out from time past, was clarified in time present, looking at those 400 years. And Father, help us to not lose sight of the fact that we, instead of looking for all the things that we read or hear about, all the things around it, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus. that we would pursue Jesus and that in this Christmas season as we go through the advent of hearing how you be broke the silence and how you began working your plan your way for the betterment of your people for the proclamation of your love and your word to your world Help us, Father, in the midst of all of that, to pursue Christ completely. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.